Blog Talk Radio. got a red book handy, turn the, and a little one, turn to 54, we're going to sing I'll Fly Away. Let's stand and sing. We mention all the time how we don't, we wish it was in other books. We, we don't ever sing it. Well, let's sing it tonight. Either one. We'll wait on Rob to get here. 
All right. Well, let's, let's, we got prayer requests tonight? Yes, Ms. Sharp. I go to her, uh, to her doctor and All right. Let's remember pray for her for eye doctor appointment. Others, anything else? Prayer requests? Okay. All right. Well, I can say the same thing, just a normal bunch of people I pray for. Uh, yeah, I'm totally Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I went and seen Dan a little bit earlier today, and he's doing good. And, uh, huh? Well, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, I wouldn't see him. For, I didn't get to see him very long. An occupational therapist came in trying to get him to go down and learn how to brush his teeth all over again or something. I don't know what he was trying to show him. I don't know. He was, he was getting showered and some other things, so he was just trying to go through the motions to make sure he knows how to do everything. But uh, he was up and walking around when we came in, uh, going from bed to the bathroom and back and stuff and, and talking good. He had a little bit of trouble with a couple of things he was trying to think of to say. He couldn't form the words, but he's doing a lot better than he did in the beginning and doing a whole lot better than he was doing a week ago. So I'm really encouraged by it. And, and somebody said he got like nine. He got a, kind of like a cat. He got nine lives. Well, he better make the most of this one because God, God been merciful to him. He sure better make the most of it. Um, Trying to think. Oh, I was going to mention my friend Krupa Emanuel. I keep talking about him. You know, he's supposed to have been here August the 4th and preach for us that Sunday, but uh, he, he went to get his passport and visa, and he messaged me. He said, I had no idea that plane tickets had gone up, and they were as much as they are, and he said, I can't do it. We'll have to wait until maybe next year. So pray for him. I know he's real discouraged. Again, he's in India, in Mumbai, India, the biggest city in India, they, he, he's running a child care thing, daycare child care thing, but he's teaching the Bible undercover inside there to, to single moms and, and uh, housewives and children and uh, poor street kids. And, and uh, he's trying to reach out. So I tell the mom, I said, you know, it, 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 it would be very depressing to me to be in, in Mumbai, India, and, and feel like the only place I could go for help was the other side of the world, and I couldn't get there. That would be very, very depressing. So please pray for him. He's an honest, good man. He loves the Lord. And he's got a heart and passion for the people of India. So pray for Krupa Emanuel. Um, yes. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to play the next song anyways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bless. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just love you and I thank you tonight. Thank you for your mercy and your love and the way that you take such good care of us. And Father, I'm so thankful for how you're working in Dan's life. And Lord, I pray for Miss Nell for Scott, and for Lord, for Miss Charlotte's request, or all the others that have been mentioned. And, Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'll bless our church. Bless, Lord, those who, who, are, uh, who are here tonight and those who are not. And, Father, those who have let life get in the way, Father, I pray, Lord, you convict them and show them, Lord, there's no success without you in the first place. And, Father, we just pray, Lord, that as we meet tonight, Spirit of God, stir in our hearts and work in us and through us. And, Lord, we'll just give you all the glory and the praise for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to sing number 296. You can go ahead and sit down. 296. And, Brother, if you want to come on this one with us, do it that way. 296. 296. No, not one.
Number 55, sister. You would. Number 55. 55. At Calvary. I'm sorry, it's cross. There we go. That's right. You're right. You're right. I'm, I'm the one not tired of there. <laughs> go ahead. Roll her again. Savior all the day long. 
out of it tonight, here from Temple Baptist Church, Clarksville, Texas, 303 Short Street, amen. We'd love for people to come and visit with us. We love it that they tune in to watch us and listen to us, but like I said last week, you can't feel the warmth through that screen. You need to be in the presence to feel to feel the warmth of this church, and, and we love people, and we'd love to have people here visiting with us and, and finding out what we have for them here at the, in this in this church. Proverbs 17, we're going to be looking at seven verses tonight. There's 28 verses in this chapter, so we're going to break it up into four messages. I think that'll work pretty good, uh, although sometimes seven goes a little long. We'll try not to go too long tonight. We'll try to be all right with it. Proverbs 17, verses 1 through 7, we're going to go ahead and pray and get started. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for being so good and always being faithful and always being merciful and always using me, Lord, and speaking through me. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're faithful. Lord, I wish I could be faithful like you're faithful. Lord, I pray tonight that you touch me and use me. Speak through me, Lord. Fill me up and pour me out over and over, Lord, to your people. That's my desire. That's my heart's desire to please you and to be a blessing to others. And, Father, please help me to do that. Spirit of God, open the understanding of the Scriptures to all of us, Lord, that we might glean the truth from it, Lord, that we might uh, find uh, help, Lord, to, to live by, Father, to help us in these days that we live in that are so uncertain. Lord, we can, we can plant our feet on the truth, and we don't have to move. No matter what the winds of society uh, say as they blow, Father, we don't have to go anywhere. We can stand firm on the truth of the Word of God. Meet with us tonight. Spirit of God, speak to us, and we'll give you all the praise and glory, Jesus, because we know it's all because of what you've done on Calvary for us, and we're thankful for that blood that was shed. We're thankful that you died, but you rose from the grave, and, and you've, you've satisfied the wrath of Almighty God on our behalf. And because of that, we are accepted in the Beloved. And tonight, we want to give you praise and glory for what you've done. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be in church with you tonight. All right, you pray for me that we can move efficiently through this, and uh, let's get right into it. Proverbs 17 and verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. All right? Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith. He's drawing us a picture, two different households. Okay? He's showing us two different households, two different families, two different situations. And you got one who's sitting there at the table and they have a dry morsel before them. They don't have a fancy supper. Nobody's, no chef has prepared this. I, I, I look at it like maybe they got a meal. They, they, they're, they're sharing a pan of, of leftover cornbread. No butter. No buttermilk. No, no, no sweet milk. No, no, no iced tea. No, no Coca-Cola. Just a pan of dry yesterday's cornbread. Maybe, maybe life's been hard. Maybe times have been tough. Maybe they ain't been able to get to the grocery store. But everybody's happy. Everybody loves everybody at the table. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's glad to be there with each other. And they enjoy one another. And they're thankful for their family. And they're sitting there gnawing on dry cornbread, but they're all happy. You know, I think about it. When it talks about a dry morsel, I think about it. God help us if we ever get to the point where we got to eat survival rations. Y'all ever seen some of that stuff? Y'all see them dry lemon bars they've got? It looks like cake, and you're supposed to live on that. I could only eat one of them. I think I'd be done with it. I don't know. <laughs> Dense lemon cake. I mean, that might be wonderful, the first one, but, you know, when you think, i got to live for six months on this, you know, dry. I mean, dry. Thick and dense and dry, you know. But, but hey, but if everybody's happy, you can have a good time eating dry lemon survival bread. Amen? To have the peace, the blessing of peace and quiet is such a great thing that it can make a dry morsel seem better than the alternative. It really can. Peace and contentment. And having it peace and contentment, especially in your home. Man, that's one of the greatest blessings in the world. To know that your home is a place of refuge, a place of, of safety, a place of where you go and shut the door. The world can do what it's going to do, but everything's okay within these walls. That's, that's a good feeling, you know. And, 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 and think about this. Peace and contentment. Contentment, what a word. You know, everything's okay. You know, contentment. And there's a million thoughts that can run through your head and disturb your contentment. I mean, lots and lots of things you can think about which would disturb your feeling of contentment. But God's talking about having having peace and quiet or peace and contentment, that you can have that, amen? And what a wonderful thing that is. And, and having quietness, it means that you rest easy. There ain't no troubles in your life at the moment, amen? I'll take that. I'll take some good old dry, stale cornbread and happiness and peace and no trouble and no worries and no anxiety and, and, and no no strife or no hostility. Well, it's okay. Listen, I don't mind eating cornbread. It's it's good. Amen. It may not be the it may not be filet mignon and mashed potatoes and 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 and, and roasted asparagus and, and and a dinner roll. But you know, hey, it's it's still okay. Amen. It's, as long as the people that I'm eating with love me, that means all that means all the world all the world to me. Amen. You know, you know, you may you may you may have fewer comforts now than you used to have. 
You may have fewer comforts than other people have. You may have fewer comforts in life than you want to have. But you know what? You still have more than you deserve. If we really got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. We really have more than we deserve. Amen. Thank God we have the peace and comfort that we have in this life. So the other half of this verse says that that that's better than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Now, I know that word sacrifices there may be a little confusing, but this is talking about the best of the best. I can look at it this way. You can look at it like sacrifices, meaning sacrifices from the temple, the best cuts of the best meat that was brought into the temple, and, and the best pieces of lamb, whatever, and they've got a big feast set up on the table. You know, I mean, they got everything laid out, all the goodies. I think of my mamma's table back at Thanksgiving when I was a kid, you know. It would be like 27 different dishes and got different things in it set all over the table, and everything's steaming and smells so good. I mean, you know. Listen, I, I ain't eat like that in a long time. <laughs> Amen. There's hardly anywhere you can go eat like that anymore. But but this what we're talking about here is a whole different idea. This 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 is a this is a home full of feasting. Again, like like a holiday meal where you got stuff uh you gotta set up card tables and extra tables and, and I remember in my like I said, in my mamma's house up in Arkansas, there'd be stuff she'd have she'd set bath towels over the dryer and the washing machine out on the back porch and we'd have dishes sitting out there. I mean, you'd go through the line, go out on the back porch and get stuff off out of there and and uh you know, a house full of good stuff everywhere. But everybody argued. Everybody fighting. That's what we're talking about in the second half of this verse. A house full of sacrifices with strife. I mean, maybe maybe somebody had to work hard to make some money to pay for all this stuff. They had to sacrifice. They worked hard, and they've got a they've got the best that money can buy. You got the finest food set out that money can buy, but there ain't no peace and quiet. Somebody shows up. It's a bunch of shouting carrying on. What are you doing here? We told you not to come back by here. What did you come back this year for? We don't want you here. Everybody arguing and fighting. People fist fighting out in the hall. I mean, you know, you might have the finest food. You might have caviar sitting on a golden stand. Amen. You might, listen, you might have Wagyu steaks cooked medium rare sitting there. I mean, you might you might have uh, you might have the best the best pork chops that money can buy. And you, you, I mean. You might have the finest of everything, the best cakes and pies and cobblers and desserts. Can't nobody get along. This is what you call, I'm going I'm to get technical on you. This is what you call an antithetic parallel. Okay? That's some big words to say. It's the opposite, but yet they're parallels. They're perfect opposites. Okay? So you, you take a dinner party consistent of a dry bite of bread, and, and you got to go back to the biblical times to think about the way they did with the unleavened bread, and they'd have the oil and the vinegar and and and, and, a, and maybe some garlic and herbs, and they'd dip it into the into that in the sop they called it, and then they'd eat it. So I mean, if you've eaten an Italian restaurant and you've had been in a fancy one where they brought you some oil and herbs and and, and garlic, and you dipped your your Italian, bro, that's good stuff. I'm getting hungry. I need to shut up because I'm hungry. But, but, but anyway, they didn't have that. They just had the bread, and uh, you know, you, and you, and you, you had, you didn't have all that good stuff. And, and but, but yet, 
yet. It was enjoying peace. And you contrast that by this unlimited banquet, but it's plagued with strife. Everybody's fighting and screaming at each other. Having it all doesn't mean you have it all. Having it all, it, it often brings a deterioration of your morals and your ethical standards and also increases the envy in the family and it also increases the strife. I can guarantee you a poor man's funeral is a whole lot more peaceful than a rich man's. Because usually the rich man got people fighting over his stuff. Verse 2. A wise servant shall have a rule, shall have rule over a son that causeth shame, and shall have part of the inheritance of the brethren. <clears throat> a wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame. Now, it makes sense that a son would rule in place of a dad who was an important man. He would groom his son to, to to raise him up to follow in his father's footsteps and to take over the position in the family. Uh, they would have trust in their family member more than they would in somebody that worked for them, a servant or something. But yet if that son is, a, is an absolute louse and, I mean, you know, he's a drug addict or alcoholic. He's stealing from grandma and, you know, and, and, and get winding up in jail all the time. You can't trust that son, and that son causes shame to the family. Well, God knows how to replace that son with a, with a wise servant. And, that's, you know, I've, I've seen this happen a couple times in my life where somebody has somebody work for them, and they just kind of become part of the family. And they're, they're at every gathering and, and a part of every, I mean, we had that. There was, I tell you, there was a there was a guy who lived down the road from us. Uh, his name was his name was Michael White, and uh, but my daddy called him Blowfly for some reason. I don't know why, but he was he was black black guy. He was probably about five six years older than me, and uh, they started off hauling hay together, and and uh, then pretty soon he was roofing with my dad, and and every time anything happened, he was always there. He was helping my daddy break horses and ride horses and. You know, Christmas, he would show up and hang out on Christmas Day. I mean, he was just always there, part of the family. Now, and, and, and you know, and, and my daddy spent more time with him than he did me most of the time. But, but so I understand, and it wasn't because I was a bad kid. It's just I understand how people that work for you, sometimes they can just almost be like family to you. And so I think that's really what this verse is talking about because, you know, a son has his natural place in the family, but, 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 God doesn't see that natural place giving that son an absolute right to lead that family. And he may give that leadership to somebody who's wiser and somebody who'll do a better job of it instead if that son doesn't follow the Lord and doesn't and doesn't do right and doesn't honor him. And and it says that he shall have a part of the inheritance among the brethren. If the son proves to to to, to uh cause a shame and be a shame, and if it's in God's will, God's able to to lift up that wise servant or employee to a place of leadership and an inheritance among the family. He might end up, you know, again, uh, taking care of that son someday and trying to trying to take care of his business because son's foolish and can't handle it. Uh, you know, your the virtue that you have in you, the character that you show, not the privilege of your birth, counts more. In, when it comes to taking care of money and taking care of a family, really and truly, a person with character—that's who you want. I mean, listen—if you got—if you got to leave somebody in care of your children, if somebody's about, about to pass away and they got children, they don't want to leave that child a fool. 
they don't want to leave that child to be raised by. They would rather somebody that they, they'd rather a neighbor that they knew had character and loved the Lord raise their child, and they had this relative who they knew would do something horrible. So God knows what He's doing, and again, God God can God can put somebody in the right place to take care of something at the right time. Verse three, it says, "The finding pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold, but the Lord prieth the hearts." I, I have experience with metals and things of this nature because when I was when I went off to Bible college, I, I worked several different places, but one of the places I wound up working for quite a while, I worked at um, at uh, Texas Die Casting. It was a uh, aluminum die cast mill on the South Loop in, in uh, Gladewater, and uh, got a good job over there. And I worked I worked uh, seven at night to seven in the morning. And uh, if you've ever fooled with a gas water heater down on the Side there, but there at the bottom there's a there's a little metal box. It's got a red button in the middle of it. You push that red button, you light the pilot. That's called a Robert Shaw valve. And I used to have to make 700 of them a night in 12-hour shifts. And and that, that aluminum would be 1,240 degrees, standing right next to you there. And then you had your machine. Well, you take a dipper, a ladle, and you skim back the top, and you get you a dip of it, pour it in that funnel, hit the button, and rod would shoot it up into that die. And it'd make the part, and you'd, it, you'd open the doors, and the die would open. You'd take the parts out, stack them on the table, and you'd spray it down, and you'd start over again. And I uh, did that all night long. And, again, so I know something about this this finding pot, you know, getting that dross out of the aluminum. It had to be 1,240 degrees, so the dross wouldn't come out. And we were constantly skimming the dross back. And if you don't know what dross is, that's the trash, the garbage that don't belong in the metal. You don't want that in your part because that makes a, a part that'll crack because it's like – it's just like uh, you were, you were say you were going to make something out of clay, and you had some clay, and it had like a bunch of straw in a section of it. You, that'd be weak in that section because it's got trash in it. So metal, you don't want to have, have any trash in it. And so he said the finding pot is for silver and furnace for gold. So the, the finding pot, that, again, that's for silver. You take silver and you put uh, raw silver in, and you would, you would heat it up in this finding pot, and silver melts. And it gets to a certain temperature, and it releases the dross. And that dross, just like in boiling water, you know, something boiling to the top, or uh, if you ever boil chicken, all the chicken fat boils up to the top, you skim all that off. And that's kind of the same way the silver is, just except it's, it's junk that comes up out of it. And the refiner, he'll take a tool and he'll skim that back. And then he'll continue to turn the heat up and do that. And the, and the same thing with the gold, it's done in a furnace, but it's, it's, it's a very similar process, and these things these things are te- are tested and they're purified, and uh, and, and again they, they they silver and gold they they have their places in refining and purification. The Bible says the Lord trieth the hearts. Uh, the Lord trieth the hearts. The most appropriate place for the human heart to be tested and purified is with God. Nothing else can can test the human heart the way God can. God's word and God's truth provide a wise, loving standard. Okay, if you're going to test gold, you got to have a standard. Okay, you got to have a, a something to set the bar by. If you're going to test silver, you have to have a, a standard that it's checked by. And if you're going to test a heart, you test it by the word of God to see if it's full of corruption. Amen. You check it by the truth of God. 
uh, he, it's a wise standard. It's a loving standard, and it will examine us and see what's in us, and it will refine us like the heat of the flame of the refiner's pot. Uh, again, that, that y'all have heard of a Bunsen burner? I guess it's like a Bunsen burner, like a heavy-duty flame. So they set that on, and it, it, I don't know if they use a Bunsen burner, but it's like that. And it, and it heats that crucible up, which is the container that the metal's in. So it gets so hot again. And I, as I was saying before, you know, the heat drives the dross out. The, the refiner skims the dross. And I've told you this before, but there's some here tonight that's never heard this. But the way that the refiner can tell when he's got all the dross out of the gold or the silver is that when he finally skims it off enough that he sees his reflection in the gold. Then that, isn't that a kind of a pretty spiritual picture of how when God has gotten the dross removed out of us, he can see his reflection in us? Amen? But again, he, his, his word, it, it examines and refines. And two important thoughts are suggested by this proverb. First of all, that the heart, our heart, my heart, your heart, will yield to no force other than that of God. People, people, people go to therapy to try to deal with stuff in their heart when God's the only one that's going to be able to make that change. People take medicine to try to change their heart when only God is going to be able to make that change. People, people try all kinds of idiotic things. They try yoga, which is nothing but Hindu worship, and it's devils inhabiting your body. Don't fool with yoga ever. It's evil. They try all kinds of meditation and things to try to deal. I, I, I remember talking to a guy one time in Paris. Uh, he was he had one of those red strings tied around his wrist. Y'all ever seen those people with red strings tied around their wrist? It's it's a y'all ever heard of Kabbalah? It's a it's a Jewish uh, mysticism. It's a it's a uh, it goes all it's it's tied to Babylon. It's it's that old witch Jewish witchcraft. And uh, Madonna was really big into that for a while. She wore the red string around her wrist. There's a bunch of celebrities. If you if you if you notice when you see pictures of celebrities, just notice their wrist. If you see a red string, they're into Kabbalah, and and Kabbalah is a rejection of God of the Bible. It's it's, it's a mixture of the old pagan gods of Babylon and things of that nature. And I talked to this guy over in Paris. It was years ago uh, downtown at a restaurant, and this lady that owned it introduced me to him and. She introduced me as a pastor, and uh, I said, I noticed that red string on your wrist. I said, you you into Kabbalah? He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he was so proud I knew what it meant. And I said, uh, what do you all do with sin? Boy, he got tangled up. He didn't know what to say. He wasn't ready for that question. I said, what do you do with sin? What do you do about sin? And he said, oh, well, well, well we, we, have, we, we, have, we have some chants and things that we do. Like, what? Man, the Bible said the fool has said in his heart there's no God. The fool, you think it's going, um, it's going to change anything about what you've done. Come on. The Lord tries the hearts. Amen. Go to God. He'll put his finger right on it and say, you are a sinner who needs salvation. But again, dross in the metal. It can be found and purged by fire. But evil in the heart can be discovered and dealt with only by God. Can't nobody else deal with it. Only God. Only the Spirit of God can put his finger on our sin and reveal it to us and show us that we need to repent before a holy God, that we need to come to him and for cleansing and salvation. Uh, secondly, 
the other thought on this proverb is that Jehovah does try our hearts. God tries our hearts. Amen? He tr- why does he try our hearts? That means he tests us to see what's in us. God's not happy to just leave us be. God is, God is always trying to prove us. God is always putting us to the test through one thing or another in order that we might understand that we are not okay. We need to still be growing. We still need to be having things removed from us. We've not gotten to the place where everything is all good and copacetic. We need to, we need to constantly be, uh, you know, we need to be seeking holiness before God is what we need to be seeking. Um, he tries us to let us know what's in us, to let us know what draws us and what's pure in us too. Verse 4, a wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. And a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. So he listens to lies. Wicked doer does. Well, that's not a shock. I think that's pretty much obvious. Uh, But when it comes to lies spoken by false lips, we know that is slander. Somebody's telling lies about somebody else, trying to destroy them, trying to tear them down. Uh, Evil people not only spread lies like that, but they also, they believe them. They'll believe anything you tell them. Hey, Sure, tell me something else good. Tell me some other juicy story that I can tell and spread around. They, they love to embrace a lie. And, I mean, if you don't believe me, just think about it. CNN, MSNBC, The View, and so on and so forth. All they do is lie. They lie like a rug, as they say. Amen? You think about how, and I know we know this, but you think about how the entire mass media turned on Donald Trump and just lied, 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 lied for all those years, told lie after lie after lie. And what did what did what did Adolf Hitler say years ago? You tell a lie big enough, loud enough, and long enough, eventually people will believe it. And that's exactly what they've done. I can't tell you how many interviews I've watched of people interviewing people on the street and asking, "Is Donald Trump a racist?" Yeah, he's a racist. Well, how is he a racist? And they can't say. They just know that that's what they're supposed to say because that's what they've been told to say. They've heard the lie and they repeat the lie. And that's how. And, and again, that that's Marxism invading America and turning us into a communist nation. They're subverting the youth by telling them, getting all of the media under one umbrella. And they are pretty much entire media in the United States are all owned by the same people. They all repeat the same message at the same time, at the same time of day, every day and enough people hear it, and they begin to believe it. And that's where we're at in America. And again, it goes right along with the word of God says. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. They love to hear it. And a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue, it says. I mean, the cancel culture. You know, again, we don't we don't like what you say. Well, then we'll just make sure nobody ever hears you again. We'll put you up again. But they, they, they give heed to false lips. They'll destroy somebody if they don't like what they say. They'll come after you and shut you down. There's no telling how many how many uh, actors out in Hollywood who who were conservative or who who uh, had a relationship with God that have been shut down and put out of work because of what they stand for and how and and how they stand. And again. That's that's what we're talking about here. They're, they're destroyed. They're, they're uh, these people who, who do these things. They're a cancer to society, and they need Jesus. They need to repent and be born again. You know, it's a bad sign of a vicious nature to be quick to believe scandalous story about about a godly person. 
But yet people will. They they love to. Oh yeah, tell me something I can believe. Tell me something else that I can that I can spread and and hurt somebody. Um, you know, if men didn't love lies, they wouldn't listen to lies. They'd say, hey man, don't say that. I don't want to hear no stuff like that. But the fact that somebody said listen to it and not shut somebody down, that tells me they want to hear it. Um, an evil heart always ready, always willing to receive more evil. They feed off of it. That's why it's an evil heart. And liars delight in hearing lies. Second half of that verse is a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Those who, who lie love to listen to lies as much as they like to tell lies because that's what they're about. They're of their father, the devil, and, you know, that's what the Bible says. And it ought to bother us if we love to hear lies and gossip about other people. I worry about people who watch soap operas. I don't, hopefully none of y'all in here watch soap operas. I, wore, my, I tell you, that used to bother me. My grandma used to sit and watch that stuff. I used to think, how in the world do you watch that stuff? But now I know people sit today, watch, they watch reality TV shows, and it's just, it's just as bad. The, the horrible garbage that they put on there and all this 90-day fiancé garbage and, and, and all the shows that come off of that thing, I don't watch them. I just know they exist. And, and again, all it is is just, Whisper gossip, gossip talking, talking about somebody else and their relationship and their marriage. It's just a bunch of garbage that's, that's just a show about whispering and talking, naughty talking about other ones. And so this, this proverb, it, it, it's giving us a comparison between an evildoer and an evil speaker, and it shows us that they're both guilty. They're both guilty of being greedy to hear false and wicked things. They just want to hear more and more and more. Both the liar and his willing audience, neither one of them have any, any taste for the truth. Neither one of them want the truth. They just like lies. And and when we take gossip seriously, it's a form of malice. It's hatefulness practiced by those who have no respect for the truth. Those who like to gossip, they're being hateful in their actions. They may not realize it, but their actions are hateful toward those other people. So God help us if we if we're part and parcel to any of that. Verse 5, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he, is a, and he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. So if you mock the poor, the Bible says you are reproaching your maker. Some people find it easy to mock the poor. I was thinking about this. I was getting this message together. I went to high school at North Lamar High School in Paris, Texas, on the north side of Paris. And it was during the 80s, and, boy, Paris was growing like wildfire. Uh, you know, Campbell Soup was roaring, and Kimberly Clark was roaring, and they were expanding, and, and there was people moving in from everywhere. And the north side of Paris, Lamar County just expanding. They were building Oak Creek and the hills and, and, and the Turtle Creek and Beaver Creek, and all them creeks over there and big houses everywhere. And, and, man, we had a flood of rich kids in the North Lamar, and you had a very great disparity between the two classes. You had all the wealthy, well-to-do, the fancy car-driving uh, folks who lived in the big, rich houses, and then you had all the Ridge Runners kids from up around Shakota who were all dirt poor. So you had two different, you had two different classes of people in there. And I don't know where I fit in. I was on the lower end. But, you know, and and you could tell – who had money and who didn't by the way they were treated. And I remember, I, I don't want to sit and dwell on this, but I'm just thinking about this. 
I remember a group of privileged kids, boys, who'd get together on the weekends in the back of, they'd all jump and load up in the back of a pickup truck, and they'd ride around looking for somebody to beat up. You wouldn't want to hunt around in them. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, man, these kids, these guys are crazy. Some of them went to jail. They, they'd find somebody broke down on the side of the road, and they'd get out and offer to help, and then they'd end up beating them half to death. They just, they, 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 they took advantage of somebody in a, in a bad situation. And the only reason somebody do that is because they got wickedness in their heart. But I just remember that. And they, and they were the, all, the, they were all the well-to-do rich kids. And, uh, you know, and you don't have to do it with violence. Some people can do it with their, just their words and just tear somebody down and make them feel about this talk. Other people just give them a dirty look and do it with their looks or, or do it with laughter, mocking. But, again, uh, th- they love to think of themselves as better than those who have less than they do. And that's not so, but they, that's the way they look at it. And, and those kind of people need to understand when they mock the poor, they despise or reproach the one who made both the poor and themselves. God made both of them. And to mock them is to despise God. And the fact that the poor man and the rich man have the same maker ought to give the rich person greater sympathy and some greater sense to realize God made both, and he put us both in a situation we're in for a reason. The first part of this proverb doesn't teach that the poverty is necessarily from God. It just recognizes the unchanging rights of every man, no matter his poverty. Now, listen, if you're God's, you're God's. And you have the same rights in this word of God, you have the same promises in this word of God as a rich man who knows the Lord. No matter the difference what standing you have financially in this world, according to this world, what matters is whether or not you got riches in heaven. And a man who knows the Lord, he ought to have compassion on those who don't have the material things in life that, that he does. Um, but he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. And anybody who I can't imagine somebody being glad at calamity. I can't imagine somebody some somebody else's life falls apart and they just rub their hands together in delight. I can't understand that. But there are people out there in this world like that, or God's word wouldn't describe them. You know what I mean? I mean, God wouldn't warn us about it and talk about it if there weren't people out there like that. But but. But they don't have a, they have an unloving heart who are like that. If you're if you're glad when somebody has calamity, they have an unsympathetic heart. And anybody who who despises their fellow man like this, they ought to expect God to stand up for the weaker one. They ought to understand that that God's going to. Adam Clark said, "He who is pleased to hear of the misfortune of another's will." In the course of God's just government, have his own multiplied. You mock somebody else's troubles, God's going to make sure you got way more than they got in the long run. <clears throat> Verse 6. Children's children. That's a good verse. Children's children are the crown of old men. They're all good, but I like this one. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Amen. I'm thankful for my grandchildren. Amen. I'm going to get to spend time with them tomorrow. And I, I, I do. I, I really I only have two, but I'm so thankful for the ones that I have. They're, they're, they're 12 and 15, aren't they? She 15? Should be 15 November. Yeah, 12 and 14. But I sure am thankful for them. 
um, children's children are the crown of old men. It, it's saying that grandchildren are like a crown of glory for a grandparent. Uh, you know, it's just, it's almost indescribable to to try to, well, you can't hardly describe how much pleasure you get and satisfaction and just looking at them and their lives and, and, and knowing, you know, this is an extension of me. You know, I mean, when I look at them and I think, gosh, I mean, I'm old. <laughs> That's what I think when I look at them. But, uh, but I, I, I'm so thankful for them, and they're good kids. And both of them know the Lord. Both of them saved. And I'm very, very thankful for that. I baptized both of them right back here in this baptistry behind me. And, and it pictures them gathered around their grandparent like a crown. And it says, the glory of children are their fathers. And that's true as a fact, and it's also true as a goal. You want them to be, you want them to turn out to bring glory to you, you know. And it, and it's natural for children to glory in their fathers, to look at their dad and, 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 and admire their dad. I know, you know, before I got grown up and realized all my dad's problems and everything, you know, he was my hero. I thought he was I thought he was the best thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I just, I was captivated by his presence. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to look like him. I wanted to walk like him. I wanted to talk like him. I wanted to act like him. When I got older, I realized that was a mistake. But I I, I wanted to when I was young and I was a kid and I was very impressionable. Um <clears throat> But like I said, it's natural for children to glory in their fathers, but and, and their dads need to be careful to live and to parent their children in such a way that would cause their children to glory in them. Because the Bible says to, to has it worded, fathers love your children, and, and uh, no, that's let's see. I remember that verse, the verse about fathers, where where telling you not to make your children bitter against you. I can't remember how it's worded, but you know the one I'm talking about, hopefully. But you have to be careful the way you raise them. You don't want to. You don't want to make them. You don't want to make them bitter. You don't want to turn them against you. You want to. You want to raise them up in the in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You want to raise them up to have a right kind of heart. Um, this preacher Dwayne Garrett he said this. He said behind this apparently innocuous proverb is a profound assertion of the psychological, I know it's big words, uh, is a profound assertion of the psychological interdependence of the generations. Elders derive a sense of pride from their descendants. Yes, we look at our grandchildren and it gives us a sense of pride looking at them, not an evil pride, but a a good thankfulness, a blessedness uh, from looking at their grandchildren. And children get their sense of self-worth from their parents. On the other hand, one generation can cause shame and a sense of worthlessness in another. That's the problem I had with my dad. My dad, although I, I, I idolized him, treated me as though I was worthless and made me feel worthless. And I tell you, that's a tough thing to get over. I was 27 years of age before I finally realized he didn't know what he was talking about. You know, I got some value. God, God values me even if he doesn't. So, uh, you know, thank God God showed me that, and I, and I woke up, snapped out of my, my uh, what do you want to call it, uh, the dumps because of the way the way I had been treated and talked to all my life. But uh, children 
they're, they're like fruits. I mean, they're, they're like fruits in a garden. They need cultivating. You don't just let them grow on their own. You need they, they need protecting. And and when you neglect the crop, you know you're going to reap you're going to reap what you what you sow when you neglect it. Isaiah three five says, "And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable." Micah seven six says, "For the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house." And and in Second Timothy three two through four, and I know we know this, but I want you to listen to it in the context of a family of of grandchildren and parents and children. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, proud blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful. I'm looking at this in terms of children. Doesn't this describe some children we know? Disobedient to parents, unthankful. Don't care what you do for them. They don't care. They're not going to be thankful for what you've done. You can work yourself to death, work your fingers to the bone, give them everything in the world, and they're still going to be unsatisfied, unhappy, because you didn't give what somebody else got. Unthankful. Unholy, don't care a thing about God, without natural affection, don't love their mom and dad the way they should. Fruits breakers, you can't count on them. False accusers, they'll, they'll accuse you of anything in the world. Incontinent, they can't control themselves. They're fierce. They're despisers of those that are good. They, listen, we got a generation, and I thank God there's young people in here tonight, but we got a, we got a, we got a whole generation of churches that they have very few young people in them these days. They despise the things that are good. But why? Because they've been taught so much evil by this world and society. Freighters, heady, high-minded, no more, they no more than everybody else. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. If you don't cultivate them, if you don't raise them right, if you don't train them up right, you will not get the right product at the end of it. We're seeing that in a generation being raised by their phone, or raising their self right in front of us. In the last verse, and we're done. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less the lying lips, prince. Excellent speech becometh not a fool. <clears throat> when that word becometh, it means it, it doesn't look good on a fool. You know, if a woman puts on a, dress, a sack dress and it makes her look frumpy, you say, well, that's not very becoming on you. That's what it means. It's not very pretty on you. And excellent speech becometh not a fool. And, and, and it's not excellent speech is, again, you wouldn't expect it from a fool. It'd be an unexpected surprise when a fool started, started speaking excellently because you've never heard nothing but stupidity out of his mouth up to this point. But, again, it just kind of seems strange, almost inappropriate, if a fool says something wise and comes out with something eloquent. It just wouldn't, it ain't fitting, right? God don't like fair words in a foul mouth. I can prove it to you. Mark 3, 11 and 12, Jesus silenced devils when they confessed him to be the son of the most high. Listen to it. Mark, Mark 3, 11 and 12. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. He told them to hush. There were devils bowing down. 
He didn't want them devils praising him. He didn't want, listen, they, they, they weren't praising him because they worshipped him. They were praising him to uncover him and discover him to others and cause problems. Because righteousness coming out of a fool's mouth. The Bible says, Excellent speech could come with not a fool, much less do lying lips of prince. <clears throat> we got a lying president. Much less a prince. We got a lying president. And, and, and he's a crook and a criminal and a, and a money launderer and, and got a cocaine addicted son and, and the whole family's corrupt, a bunch of criminals. And, and uh, God help us. You know why we have that president? Because God's given us exactly what we deserve. God has given this nation exactly what she asked for. This nation has turned itself away from God. This nation has accepted garbage and lies and wickedness and perversion. And so God gave us the most perverse president. I guess him and Obama are right there together. But they've they both been some, two of the most perverse presidents in the history of presidents. And uh, lying lips, lying lips don't look right on a prince. They ought to be known for truthfulness. You know, it ought to be it ought to be a, a, a shock that a, that somebody in authority of that level would lie. Uh, but it's a standard most leaders don't usually live by, especially politicians. A dishonest leader is worse than an arrogant fool. Somebody said, and a comparison shows here which of the two things is worse. You know, I'd a whole lot rather have a have some fool speaking some wisdom than have a leader telling lies. And God help us, because we need to pray for our leaders, because we are being led by a nation of, of, of court jesters and fools. So pray for America. And pray for your family. Let's take some of these truths and let's see if we can't apply them to our lives and see if we can't, we can't use these things and, and grow wiser in our service to the Lord. Let's stand together. Let's get ready to go to the house tonight.